So Hosea 14, and there in verse 1, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. So he's pleading and crying out, O Israel. And what follows in this chapter is God's promise to restore Israel. And this chapter is dealing with the mystery of the restoration of Israel. God is promising that one day Israel will repent. And upon their repentance, he will restore them and bring them back into their land and restore them to a nation, back into fellowship with him, and back into uh, uh, a right uh, relationship. So this is one of the seven mysteries that we talked about before that every God-called preacher is called to proclaim, if he'll be faithful to his call. It's just one of seven. So tonight we'll take a look at that, the mystery of the restoration. But I was thinking, as I was, uh, as I was getting ready for Joel today, I had a uh, quote that I'd taken from Haley's Bible Handbook, and I thought this was an interesting quote and would be useful. Uh, the historical books of the Old Testament. Think about all of the Old Testament. Okay, uh, how many books are there in the Old Testament? Does anybody know? 39. 39, okay. So it starts with Genesis. It ends with Malachi. Well, the historical books of the Old Testament, that's Genesis to Esther. They're the story of the rise and of the fall of the nation of Israel. The poetical books follow those. The poetical books from Job to the Song of Solomon, roughly, those belong to the golden age of Israel's history. You know, during uh, the, the reign of David and Solomon, that was the golden age, and those poetical books were written. Then the prophetical books, they close out the Old Testament. The prophetical books go from Isaiah to Malachi, and they belong to the days of the fall of that nation. So what we've been studying is we've been studying a nation in decline. And when Israel went into idolatry, that's when God sent the prophets. You understand? That's when Elijah started his ministry, and Elisha, and then Joel, and some of the others. God called them to that ministry because Israel had gone into idolatry. They had gone away from their God. And if you don't think that that has any uh, application to us today, uh, listen, folks, we have idols of the heart. And there's many idols that we can be given to. Anything that we give ourselves to that gets in the way of our relationship with our God or draws us away from God, somehow causes us to cool off or to be distracted and to neglect our own personal relationship with the Lord, that can become a personal idol, and it's an idol of the heart because it starts in the heart with the affections. We give our affections to something else or to someone else. You know, instead of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, instead of doing that, we seek something else. We don't put the kingdom first, we put something else first. Or instead of setting our affections on things above, like our relationship with our Lord and laying up treasures in heaven and, and working to have rewards at the end of the judgment seat of Christ, instead of setting our affections on things above, we can set our, things, our affections on things down below, and those things can become idols in the heart. Well, what had happened is Israel in the north, they started 
serving and worshiping idols. Do you remember which ones they started with first? What's that? Well, yeah, they, they started not first with Baal, but that's what they went to. But they started with, the remember the uh, golden calves? Jeroboam, King Jeroboam, took over in the north and he set up the golden calves. And that was calf worship of the Canaanites. So they adopted, basically, they became like the world around them. And they adopted their religious behavior. And that was the gods of the Canaanites and of the Phoenicians. And then they went into Baal worship. That was from Egypt. Remember, they were... Uh, doing that kind of stuff when they're coming up out of Egypt. And so that's what happened. And then because they went into idolatry, God sent the prophets. And the prophets had a ministry of trying to help a nation that was falling and a nation that was in trouble with God. And what were the prophets to do? Verse 1, O Israel, return unto the Lord. They were crying out to God's people saying, Don't do this. Don't go down that road. Return unto the Lord. For thou hast fallen... By thine iniquity. And you know what? All they had to do was repent. Even though things look bad, God didn't want to bring judgment. Sure, he is a God of judgment, but remember, he's a God of mercy first. He's a God of mercy and a God of judgment. And he does not want to bring judgment. He does not want to bring in another nation to conquer his people and remove them from their land. That's the place where his temple is. That's the place where he's placed his name. He loves that land. It's the apple of his eye. He loves his people. So he's calling out, think of three words. Think of repentance. Think of returning. And think of restoration. And basically the prophets are saying repent immediately. Immediately. Because if we start preaching, that means you're in trouble. Repent immediately. Then return. And how was he telling them to return? You return to the Lord through, through fasting, through humbling yourself, through prayer, through getting right with God, getting serious with God. Not the religious show of temple worship and offering sacrifices. He says, don't rend your garments, rend your heart. I don't want a religious show anymore. I want your heart. So... Repent, return, and then he promises restoration. At any point in time, God would have restored them. God would have prolonged the nation. And still, we're so persistent sometimes. Human, you know, kind can be so persistent in sin and can be so, well, we can be our worst enemy, really. Verse 2, he says, take with you words and turn to the Lord. This is Hosea talking to Israel. And he says, here's some words that you can take with you and go to the Lord with these words and say unto him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. Neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. Ye are our gods for in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. So did you ever hear anybody saying, oh, that sinner's prayer? That's not biblical. You shouldn't tell people to pray a sinner's prayer to get saved. Hey, you got one right there. If you ever want to know if, if there's a sinner's prayer in the Bible, there's one right there. He says, take these words and pray these words to God. He's going to help them to get right with God if they will. And uh, he's telling them how to pray. You know, if you're raising children, they need to be taught how to pray. You need to put words into their mouth. And 
you that know me know I'm not trying to make myself like an expert on raising children because that would be foolish because um, I think we all try to do the best we can. But when I learn things that I think I'm not doing that and God convicts me about it and I say I need to start doing that or those kind of things, I'll pass them along. But this is one of those things. You need to put words into children's mouths. And uh, you listen to children pray and kids like to pray. Have you ever noticed that? Kids love to pray. They, they almost love to pray more than anything else, Bible reading or anything else or Bible stories. And they all like to take turns. If one gets to pray, the other ones want to pray. And you listen to them pray, and they're repeating what they've heard you say, right? Well, you've got to keep teaching them how to pray. And it's not bowing your head and saying, God is good, God is great. Thank you for this food, amen. No, it's got to be more. What is it to prayer? Well, that's not the subject of tonight, but there's more to it than than uh, just mouthing a few words. Uh, there's a lot more to it. So he gives him these words, and it's okay also when we're soul winning to give people the words to help them to pray and to trust Jesus Christ. So Israel being called to repent, if you'll notice uh, the word Asher in verse 3, Asher is Assyria. So he's saying, don't trust in Assyria. They were to the north. And Israel was trusting in them and their alliance to protect them. Once Israel had relied on the armies of Assyria and, notice the horses. You see that in verse 3? The horses. They had also trusted in the horses of Egypt and their idols to protect them. If you think about it, today, what might we trust in as a nation? Our alliance with other nations, right? We might trust in the military might of our own military or another military, our tanks, you know, our missile systems, those kind of things. And the Lord would tell us today, don't trust in those things, trust in me, I'm the only one that can protect you. Because you can have all of those things and and you're not safe. Ultimately, it's God's blessing that counts, that matters. Back in those days, it was horses and chariots. Today, it's tanks and helicopters and well, satellites revolving around the earth. So he says, there's going to come a time when they won't, they won't trust in those things anymore. And he's saying, pray to God and say, we're sorry for trusting in our alliances and the military might. And we need to trust in you and return unto you. In verse 4, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. Look at that. For mine anger is turned away from him. That's what God wants to do. God does not want to bring the hammer down. God does not want to send in the Assyrian army and watch them destroy his people. But that's what's going to happen. God wants to heal their backsliding. That's a spiritual healing. He wants to love them freely. Think of the whole picture where we started with Hosea. Hosea was a faithful prophet. He married a... Uh, unfaithful wife and she was a profligate and she was uh, a, a terrible woman and sure enough she proved to be unfaithful and she had children with other men and and Hosea put her away but then he went and he bought her back and he took her back and he had mercy on her and he loved her and it's a picture of God's you know God's not done with you it doesn't matter what you've done 
He can heal you and restore you and bring you back if you'll come back to him and restore you. And he redeemed her, yes, and it's a picture of redemption. And so God is saying to Israel, even though you have committed spiritual adultery, just like uh, Gomer was an adulterer in the physical sense, he says you've committed spiritual adultery in worshiping these idols, and um, you have provoked me to jealousy by trusting in them. You have provoked me to anger in the wicked things that you're doing. But still, for all of that, I mean, you can't get, you really can't get any worse than what Israel did. You really can't. Because think about it. Everything that they knew about God, God had done so much for them. They'd seen all the miracles. They had God's words. The words, the oracles were given to the Jews. Think of, really, all that they had. And then to turn against God and to do all, you, they did everything that you could think of that's bad to do. They did it. And still, God says, return to me, and I will heal your backsliding. I will love you freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. That means it doesn't matter what you have done. If you return to the Lord, he can forgive you, restore your fellowship, and love you. And, he, and it's not like you'll be a second-class Christian now, you can have the same benefits that all of us have. There's nothing that you've done that's so bad that God won't take you back. But you know what? Here's the thing. Is that a lot of people just won't come back. A lot of people won't. And a lot of people are like these Jews. And you think about that. Think about how good God is. There's nothing so bad that he won't forgive. And there's no one that's sunk so low that he's not willing to love. And verse 5, I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. And notice that he says, I will. I'm going to do all these things to bless them. The dew, grow, cast forth his roots as Lebanon. He's saying one of these days, they're going to flourish. Here's the story of Israel, okay? They were as the Garden of Eden. Beautiful, flourishing both physically and as far as prosperity goes, and then also spiritually, and all of their spiritual blessings, like the Garden of Eden. Then God judged them by bringing in other kingdoms and other armies, and the Gentile nations, to judge them. And then they became like the barren wilderness of the desert. Uh, no, no vegetation, you know. The locusts came in and ate it all up. Just a barren desert wilderness, a drought. You can't live there. You can't exist there. Spiritually dehydrated. And then God says, once again, you're going to flourish. And that's his future for Israel. And it will happen. They will go from the garden to the desert back to a garden. And they'll flourish more than they ever had. You, but you notice in that verse, verse 4, it says, I will you see, now we're back to the future tense. Has it happened yet? No. Okay. Now just think with me for just a minute. If uh, I could get my board and draw on it. I, maybe I will next time. You're back here in about 740, somewhere around there, 740 B.C., maybe, maybe getting around 730 um, but in 721, this all is going to be done. Everything that the Lord says is going to happen, it will be done by 721 B.C. 
the Lord says, I will do these things for you. After 721, northern Israel's gone. And they've never come back. You, you don't, they haven't. They're not back. Some Jews have come back to the land, yes. Right? But this, the northern ten tribes, gone, and they did not come back. The southern two, gone to Babylon, they came back, right? Okay, but they're gone, never came back. So he says, I will, and it hasn't happened yet. And it hasn't happened today. Not everything that we studied in this book. They're not flourishing. They're fighting for their lives. Every time somebody throws a rocket into their area and they, and, 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 uh, Palestine and they, re, and they retaliate, what happens? They always get, they always get uh, the short end of the stick. They always get blamed like it's the Jews' fault that there's all of this tension in the Middle East. It's always the Jews' fault. And they're just fighting to protect what's theirs and little at a, you know, just a little piece that's being taken away and given to somebody here and a little piece is being taken away and given to somebody there. They're not at peace in their land and they're praying for their Messiah to return. But the Lord is saying, I will heal their backsliding. Now, they've been healed from their idolatry. But today, do you think most Jews believe in God, believe in the God of the Old Testament? You ought to study up on that sometime. You might be shocked what you find. Most Jews are, the ones who want to be respectable will be agnostics. They think it's more respectable to say, I'm an agnostic. I'm not an atheist, you know. But then there's a lot of them that are atheists. And think about it. If you went through the Holocaust, you know, and you came out of that thing, and your family, you know, you got your family history, and a lot of them went through that. Most of them didn't come back. How would you feel about God? It'd be pretty rough, wouldn't it? And, and they don't, there's, there hasn't been a national revival. But he says, I will heal their backsliding. One day there will be a national revival. And he says, I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. Is God's anger turned away from them now? No, they're getting ready to go into the tribulation. They're getting, to go, they're getting ready to go into the worst time. Jesus said, it's so bad that the world has never seen a time like the one that's coming. Um, let me see. Let's turn to Matthew 24. I might be stepping way out on a limb, and then I might be sawing off the branch behind me. And uh, Nope, I found it. Okay, Matthew 24, verse 21. Jesus said, there's a time coming. And it's a time like this world has never seen. And it's going to be an awful, awful time for everybody in the world, but specifically for the Jews. In Matthew 24 and verse 21, well, let's look at verse 15. We'll read down to verse 21. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Now, anybody know what the abomination of desolation is? Yep, that's the middle part of the tribulation. That's where the temple is desecrated, sacrificing a hog. And then the Antichrist stands up and declares himself as Christ. And all of that was, there's a foreshadow of that with Antiochus of Epiphanes. 
But that's what happens, standing in the holy place. So he's going to stand there. The holy place, where is that? Well, it's in the temple. So there's going to be a temple rebuilt. There's not one there now. You've got the Mosque of Omar there now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, and I've, I've heard that and read some articles about that. Yeah, all ready to go. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. And they're going to do all that stuff. They're going to do it all. So uh, he says, Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then, now imagine if you're a Jew in the tribulation period, and you're reading this stuff, and you're a Jew that's been turned to Christ. So you're a Jew for Jesus in the tribulation period, and you're studying this stuff intently. And you come across, whoso readeth, let him understand. Boy, that would really just hit home, wouldn't it? Then let them which be in Judea, that's the area around Jerusalem, flee into the mountains as soon as that happens. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to his clothes. Just run, you better run. Woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter. That means when you flee away, you're running. Neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation. That's right when it starts, at that moment. The great tribulation. The tribulation period is seven years. The last three and a half years is when it really gets bad. For such as one, uh, he says, for such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Three and a half years. Except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, not the elect church, but the elect Jews, those days shall be shortened. You see that? Now you say, what's going to happen? You'd have to read the book of Revelation <laughs> to find out. It's going to be awful. So, verse 4 of chapter 14 in Hosea, he says, I will, will heal their backsliding. Yes, he will after the tribulation period. What's going to happen? There's going to be a remnant of Jews that make it out of that thing. You're going to have 144,000 Jewish evangelists, male virgins, who have a mark on their forehead and cannot be killed. And they're going to go about witnessing. You're going to have Jews that turn to Christ who will keep the faith of Jesus Christ and the law of Moses. Then you'll have Gentiles, Gentiles who get saved and wash their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. And they get saved during that thing. And they're martyred uh, for Jesus Christ, most of them. They'll get saved and come out of that thing. God, even in wrath, God remembers mercy. So he's saving people out of that. You say, how do you know that those Gentiles and those Jews in the tribulation aren't talking about us as the church. I'm glad you asked. Because remember what it says about the church? That in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, right? Neither male nor female. We're, there's no distinction in Christ. But in the tribulation there is. See? Things that are different are not the same. You've got to rightly divide the word of truth. You've got to know where you are when you're reading the Bible. You know where you are right here in verse 4? I will heal their backsliding. You're at the end of the tribulation when Jesus comes back. And when he restores the nation of Israel and he kicks off the millennial kingdom, that's where, he, that's where this fits in.
So verse 5, I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. That's what's going to happen during the millennial kingdom. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. Now, let's stop there. We'll pick up in verse 6 next time. But you might say, Pastor John, uh, Brother John, how do you know that? How do you know that? Yep. Yeah. And you got to take God at his word. Just, I, I feel like I need to, I, I want to repeat everything you're saying because it's a bunch of good stuff. And the people that are watching, they, they don't know, but uh, it's, that's right. You got to take God at his word. He says, if something's going to happen, he says it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You know. Right. Yep. So, you know, you might say, well, what application does this have to us? Well, if you love the Word of God, you're just thrilled. You're thrilled to hear about this. It's interesting. Um, but we won't be there during that time. But you know what? Here's the thing, folks. You know what we're reading about? We're reading about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Did you know this? If somebody asks you, what's that Bible about? You can tell them simply, this Bible is about Jesus. And uh, you've got to take God at his word. And you've got to take Jesus as your Savior. And if you don't take the bread of life, you're going to be burnt toast. That's simple, right? But you know what this is? This book is about the second coming of Jesus. That's what this is about, the second advent. It's about a king and his kingdom. In other words, the whole Bible, the majority of the whole Bible is all about the second coming of Jesus. And so, if you're going to be a Bible preacher and a Bible believer, and you never talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ, well, you're not in line with the Scriptures, you know? You're not really biblical. So you've got to ask yourself, how often do you hear preaching about that? How often do you? I don't know, not very often. But you know what? All of this... There's an application, of course, for us as Christians. In the Bible, you've got uh, three main applications. You'll have a doctrinal application. You always got to get the doctrine first. What's the doctrine? It's the Jews. It's the second coming of Christ. It's God restoring the nation of Israel. It's God finally conquering the evil of this world. That's when he finally gets rid of the evil and of the devil. Yeah. And uh, at the end of the millennium, there's something else that happens. But that's, that's the gist of it. The evil in this world, good wins. You're on the winning side. You've got you to gotta understand the, the doctrinal, first of all. Then you have, you have the historical part of it, which we're studying. But then you have the devotional or the practical application. There's always a devotional, practical application. And it has to be practical. And the practical is this. Is, is if Now, I'm not giving you a license to sin, but if you were like me and you, back, you, you were backslidden on the Lord, you were wayward, you were, you, there were years of your life that were eaten up by the locusts, and you thought, God would never take me back, or I lost my salvation, or you know I blew it. I might have had something with the Lord at one time, but now I blew it. No, not according to the Word of God. Not according to the Word of God. You're, you're serving a God who has more mercy 
and more love and is more willing to forgive you than you're willing to confess your sin. He's more willing to forgive you than you're willing to forgive yourself or forgive others. And he's willing and he has the power to restore you. He says, I will restore them. I will love them freely. How's that going to happen? It's going to happen by his spirit. It's not going to happen because they just somehow turned over a new leaf. It's going to happen by his spirit. So by his spirit, just let him have you. Let him have what's left. And watch what he does with it. It's, an, it's incredible what he can do. And then all, it just, I'm not giving you a license to sin, but uh, if you do that, you know, you reap what you sow. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you tonight for the word of God, for the word of truth, Lord. And I thank you for what we can learn from the scriptures. And um, Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem tonight. And we pray, Lord, that uh, there's, there's men and women over there that are witnessing and passing out tracts and holding church services and Bible studies every day in Israel and online and on YouTube and things trying to reach Jews for Christ. And I pray that you'd bless them and give them fruit for their labors. Lord, there's people who have heard the gospel from us and, Lord, uh, have rejected it. And they're in danger of going into the tribulation and being deceived and, Father, being lost. And we pray for them tonight. We pray, Lord, that you'd continue to deal with them. And, Father, uh, I pray for us as a people that we'd realize where we are in your program. And, uh, and, and Lord, just to make sure that we put your kingdom first. Seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.